Hi, this is Nancy Urell, and welcome to Nancy's Psychic View on the High Road to Humanity. And today I have a fabulous gentleman, Norman E. Rosenthal, MD, is here. And welcome to the High Road, Norman. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, I'm glad you're here, you guys. We've never talked about this subject, and I've done many shows. And he's written a book called Defeating Sad. I'm holding it up here. If you guys are watching me on the YouTube channel, and uh, this is a guide to health and happiness through all throughout all seasons. But the situation is a lot of people go through depression in the winter and surprising. He's got some surprises in this book and I'll just, we'll just leave it at that for a minute. But before we get started um, with Norman today, I want to talk about the blue moon because I just think it's so cool. So August will end. This is the headline. will end with a super blue moon that won't be seen again, you guys, until 2037. And so this is really interesting. So according to astronomers, the next full moon, a so-called blue moon for the Chicago area, so I just pulled this offline, is scheduled to rise at 835. Now, I'm in Arizona. So last night was a blue moon and then tonight again. But they say... Um, the final, this is the final one. This comes from NASA. They say the time between super blue moons is quite irregular. It can be as much as 20 years, NASA said. So you guys get out there and look at it. Um, it's not really blue. It looks blue. And um, th they also want to say that um, this is the time where it's actually the closest full moon to the Earth's surface. And I think that's why you get the appearance of the blue. So everybody get out there tonight and take a look at it. It's really quite phenomenal. Where are you now, Norman? Where are you Where are you joining me from today? I'm just outside of Washington, D.C., Bethesda, Maryland. Okay. Did you see the blue moon there last night? You know, I didn't, but I have it flagged because tomorrow night it's at its peak. Okay. Okay. So, um, I know that I'm going to make a point of seeing it. I think so, too. Happens yeah. once in the blue moon. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You guys, let me tell you a little bit about Norman. He is the world-renowned... Um, He's a world-renowned psychiatrist. He's a best-selling author. Uh, his, he first described seasonal affect disorder, and it, it's sad, okay? So it's seasonal dis affective disorder, and it's he's the pioneer to use light therapy as a treatment. So he's been doing this for 20 years. Um, he's worked with the National Institute of Mental Health. He is a researcher. He's a writer. I'm just glad he's here and he's written this book. You know, I want to hear your story because... Uh, I'm a person, I'll just be honest with you. I've lived in Michigan where it can be really gloomy. I've lived in New Mexico for 20 some years. Now I'm in Arizona. I've lived in Germany. And so I've seen the differences uh, in the rain and the gloom and what it does to your psyche, really. Talk about this. I mean, tell us your story. How did you decide to write about this? Well, I came from also a very sunny place, South Africa. Okay. And came up to New York City to do my psychiatric residency. Mm -hmm. And South Africa is very sunny, maybe a little bit like Arizona. Yeah. But I never had any seasonal problems down there. But when I came to New York, I remember when that first daylight savings time change occurred. Yeah. feeling the darkness and feeling the sinking of my spirit and right. slowing down of my thinking and my cognition and thinking what on earth is going on over here? 
Yeah. And then I felt better in the spring. And that happened a couple of extra times. And then I landed up here in Bethesda, where the National Institute of Mental Health is. And I chose that as my problem to work on because I found some other people who had the problem. And I recruited more of the seasonal folks and then started studying the effects of light on these people. And presto, light is actually very potent in reversing these winter autumn and winter symptoms. So that's the short version. The long version is 300 professional papers um, and uh, a past book, but now my latest darling, which is the closing of the arc of my work over 40 years. Wow. um, A way of just trying to collapse it into something that's thin and accessible, but also hopefully beautiful that's why i have a beautiful cover not a dark dreary depressing looking <laughs> i love it well no you know this is a subject that you know like i said i've never i've had so many different experts on my show and um we've never talked about this and you talk about the winter blues you say you know and you there were so many different um studies i guess i'll say where you looked at people's length of sleep uh versus winter and summer their social activities their mood their weight you know when i got to the weight and you do have a whole thing in here chapter that you talk about how people carbohydrates how we eat more it seems like in the winter i know i do i don't know what is that just something that we as humans do or talk about this you know the winter blues Well, yeah, the winter blues has many components, and one of the components is energy. The energy sags. You just don't have that zip in your step. And another is that we try to get more energy wherever we can. And one thing that people with SAD, that seasonal affective disorder, one thing they do is they're clever, and we're clever. We figured out that having a little carbohydrate snacky will give us that extra little bit of energy. And so we're looking for energy wherever we can find it. The trouble is it doesn't last very long until you're back at the fridge, back in the cookie jar. It's not a very good way to get that extra energy. There are much better ways and much healthier ways. So yes, we have less energy. We have more appetite. We sleep longer. And uh, there's a whole cluster of symptoms that we defined in terms of what constitutes SAD, seasonal affective disorder. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thinking as you're talking about this, you know, of course, as it starts to get cold, we have Thanksgiving and then we have Christmas or, you know, holiday, regardless of what religion you are, there's everybody's cooking and they're making sweets and it's all in the winter time. And that's when I gain my weight is in the winter. <laughs> now I'm a pretty sunny girl, but I've paid attention to this situation because in Michigan, living in Michigan for many years, I grew up in Ohio and Michigan, like you going to New York, it rains a lot and the sun doesn't come out that much. But when I moved to New Mexico and gosh, I'm going to age myself, but I moved there in the nineties and what a difference we you know they call it the land of enchantment and probably like in south africa we there were 360 days of sunshine and it makes a difference on people are just happier 
What do you think? I think yes. I think people are generally happier when it is sunny. Yeah. Um, some to some extent, there's also some self-selection. People who can't stand the winter move south yeah. to get away from it. But then the whole continent is moving south. You know, there's a <laughs> immigration south, and of course, they're going to come up. You're going to come up against the climate problems that the increased heat is causing. So uh, we, you, you know, humans are, we're not stupid animals. We go where we feel best. Well, yeah. I mean, look at people, they go to Florida, like vacation. Yeah. And I was, as I was reading your book, I was, you know, and I don't want to give the whole thing away, but you cover so many different things. But I guess what really surprised me, and I'm kind of jumping around a little bit, is that your studies from the summertime, that really surprised me. They show you show that there's more depression and irritability in the summertime. And I would have thought it would have been the opposite. Can you talk about this? Yes. Well, we had it in spades this coming this last summer because, you know, we have mostly been focusing on the winter depression. But with this, the country and the world getting hotter and hotter summer depression is becoming much more common. It's it's really become, as they say, a thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, something to uh, worry about. I was talking with a, a lady friend of mine, and she was saying, you know, was saying, well, you, you know, are you feeling a trepidation about the autumn? She said, well, you know, I have summer depression and winter depression, so I'm uh, just feeling the relief. I'm feeling some relief that my summer depression is getting better. So I don't want to even think about the autumn and the winter. But some people are squashed between these different meteorological influences. And I think the idea that the weather can really make you down is is not it's in the culture, but it's not in the medical textbooks until we started our work, really. Interesting. It's really interesting. Well, I will say, you know, I was a real estate broker for many years. And the first thing I would do when I went into a show, a house was open all the blinds. Right. right. And it's the same thing. And I thought about this as I was reading your book. When I get up in the morning, I have lots of windows. And the first thing I do is open all the blinds. So that's what I do. It's exactly the same with me. I open yeah. all the blinds and then I turn on my artificial lights as well. All right, let's talk about that. So why do you turn on the artificial lights? If you've got the natural light, why do you add to it? It's all a matter of the amount. Is it enough? You know, it's it's not actually enough light. Um, so, yes, but, but I do it gradually because I feel it's almost like a mystical ceremony of mine. I wake okay. up in this dark cave. Right. Then I go to one curtain and I kind of open it gradually and that light comes in. And it's like, wow, I'm part of this amazing universe with the light coming in. And I turn, it's a, a window on the other side. And now I've got light coming from two sides. But I'm I'm a real light junkie. So I now start turning on my light boxes. I have got three of them. Okay. And the whole room is like a dazzling palace of light. <laughs> I and I think, that. wow, I'm I'm alive. I'm here. Look at the light. Isn't it wonderful? Aren't I grateful? So it's my own little gratitude ceremony. 
I love that. I love it. Now, I don't know. I have mixed feelings. I like everything bright, but I can remember a time. Now, this is probably a psychological thing where when we were kids, my mom used to come in in the morning when it was time for school and she'd flip on the light. And I'm an empath. And so I'm very uh, intuitive. And so it would just screw up my whole day when she did that. Because like you said, as I'm listening to you, you know, and that's just a mom not even thinking about it, just turning on the light to get the kids up. Right. But for me personally, it was really traumatic. And I love how you say you did it gradually, because I don't know if you found this in your studies, but for me, it, I, it has to be a gradual thing. It can't just be all at once. It's almost overwhelming. Does that make sense? Right. right. No, it, it's it's shocking. It's the yeah. Shock. And um, but I I can empathize with your mother as well. I've, <laughs> I'm a parent. Did you do I, that too? <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a while. But if you want to get your kid up, you don't keep the lights on. But I think a gradual increase is a good idea. And in my book, you'll see there are certain dawn simulators that come on gradually and wake people up gently. And um, I love seeing now in my that in my grandchildren's homes, my son has installed these dawn simulators to slowly get the light to come on. And um, so That's it's wonderful cool. to see traditions being passed down the line. I love that. I love that. Now, talk to us about, okay, so I've got, I'm in Arizona. Let's just, I'll use myself as an example. And it's quite sunny here most of the time. Um, I'm up in the mountains, so we get rain. So when we get rain, I'm happy to get the rain. So I kind of like the mixture of both, but I'm I'm a pretty happy person. Um, but I will say when you are in a place like Germany, for example, I lived in Germany for a while, it did get depressing. And I found myself looking for ways to make my day brighter. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Talk about this. Because, I mean, it, it does depend on where you live. Some people don't have a choice. They're stuck in a place that's really dark and it can really affect you. Well, the key insight is that the light is making a difference. And once you can believe it, because a lot of people who don't experience it think that you're making the whole story up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just wanting to get attention or some other fetuous oh. explanation. Okay. But in fact, a lot of people do respond to the changes in the light. And so you do what you can to bring more light in. So right. I know you said that when you were a realtor, you would open the windows. I bet right. you saw that those windows were properly cleaned and that there wasn't a layer of grime from the previous uh, winter stuck on the windows because you wanted as much light as possible to come in. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there are these light fixtures, also known as light boxes, that are specially geared to give off the amount of light that we have shown in our clinical trials can reverse people's winter depression. So there are those, and then there's going walking outside in the sun. Yeah. Even on a winter's day, you're going to get a lot of sunlight off the clouds. So I can go on and on because uh, I think about light all the time. 
Interesting. Now, what do you think about people? I always think it's good for people to go on vacation in the winter to go. A lot of people will take a cruise or go from it seemed like everybody who lived in Michigan went to Florida to get the sunshine, to get their fix. And then they would come back. It was like people need to get that. Like, I love to go to California and sit on the beach and then I'll come back and you get that little bit of fix. Talk about that. Yeah, well, I I totally agree. I am planning at least three mini vacations to oh. sunny places. Oh, and um, I think it's a good thing to do. And if you do it ahead of time, the rates for the airlines are less. Yes, and you can get in where you want more easily, and you yes. can plan around very busy times. Like if you don't have children, you can go out of the school holidays and on and on. So, but but it requires thinking. And this time of, of the autumn is a good time to think, a good time to reflect what is it that I need, you know, and, and arrange it. It's an excellent point. Yeah. Now, I also like you do a whole section about meditation. You talk about a lady from Scotland. I thought that was interesting. Uh, she got into trans- transcendental meditation. And I want you to talk a little bit about that because it's been proven that it does reduce stress and it helps with this. She was wonderful. The the litigator, the lawyer from Scotland, and she was kind enough to talk with me. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to first really assure me that she wasn't a sucker who believed every nonsense story that came her way. Right. But she said that when a fellow lawyer of hers, who was who was also a pharmacist, actually said, "Look, this really works," she said she she was she was not a foolish gal. She yeah. said, you, yeah. could, you could believe her. So she said, well, what's to harm? I'll, I'll try it. And she said, because in, in the um, winter, she would get really nasty oh. uh, with her staff and they would all complain. And, uh, you, you know, the opposing lawyer would say, what's the matter with you? Did you get up on the wrong side of the bed? And, oh. and then she started doing transcendental meditation. She said, now, I'm not a devotee. I'm not a devotee, but I'll tell you, everybody started behaving differently towards me. My clerk said, what medicine are you on? And the the, uh, opposing lawyer on the case said, what's gotten into you? All of a sudden. Oh, my gosh. She said, and and the, the final proof came. Apparently, she'd had a running battle with the traffic wardens, which we would call the traffic cops, who, as she put, she put a delight in giving out tickets to people. Yeah. And this time they would come up to her and say, can we show you a parking place that you may not see? It's just behind. She said, have you ever heard of traffic wardens doing that for you? So she became a changed person. A changed person. Well, let's talk about it. Transcendental meditation is when you use a mantra. Is that correct? You use a mantra, but it's it's a little bit like saying when you when you go out when you're a ballerina, you use your feet. Um, y- you know, it's it's right, it's correct, but it's only a really little piece of the story, because there is a special way that you are taught to use that mantra that has the desired effect, um, and. You know, you you get taught by somebody who has got a qualification, 
Mm-hmm. And they sit, they stick with you until you get the hang of it. And when you get the hang of it, it's like when you get the hang of swimming. You okay. know that feeling you get where you can lift your feet off the, yeah. off the bottom of the pool and you're floating and it's amazing? Yeah. Or on a bike where you can balance and you're not falling off one way or the other. It's like that with transcendental meditation. You get the hang of it and then you're off into the state of mind called the transcendence, which is a very delightful, creative, active, interesting state of mind. Well, it changes the energy. And that's why everybody was different towards her because her energy changed. So in turn, everybody else's energy changed. Exactly. I just said as much. I just think that's really awesome. Well, you know, because you talk, there's so much in this book. Um, I'll I'll rewind a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about spring fever (laughs) because, and I'll just speak for myself. You know, when winter's over and you start to see the flowers bloom, you just start, for me anyway, I just start to smile and I see the birds and it just makes me happy to watch everything. It's a rebirth in my mind. It's new. Everything's new. Everything's fresh. Um, talk about this. What do you, What have you found with your spring, you know, with springtime with people? Well, spring is different for different people. Right. I love to quote uh, two different poets. One is Tennyson, who said, in spring, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love. Yeah. And I dare say uh, women are not immune to that response either. So that is a view of spring as, you know, your juices are now flowing again. That's how it feels, almost like the daffodil blooms and you're blooming and everything is blooming and you want to get out and party it's party time yeah um but for some people uh, and this is t.s Eliot who expresses uh the the very famous lines of his wasteland where he says um april is the cruelest month breeding lilacs out of the dead land mixing memory with desire you know and and in, in other words memory holds you back, the desire pulls you forward, you're kind of in this kind of tension. And some people feel spring that way. Actually, suicide is most common in spring and summer, not in winter. I just, that amazes me. And you say that women are affected three times more by, you know, the not having sunshine, not having light. Then yeah, that. sad and the winter blues, which is a, a milder form of sad, but an important one uh, is about three or four times as common in women as in men. I think that's crazy. I want to rewind a little bit and talk about the light boxes. So let's let's go back. When you started to realize all of this, then how did you figure out what people should use. And I would imagine you've had to research quite a bit. And I know you have a lot of information in your book about it. But just talk a little bit about the boxes. Well, we were very primitive when we began. We used ceiling fixtures, you know, these big ceiling fixtures. And we would take them down and we stand them up like this and put an ultraviolet screen to prevent the ultraviolet and people would sit in front of these huge things that nobody would want to have in their office. Okay. But the fact is they worked. And then when uh, manufacturers saw that they had a potentially 
uh, new viable products, they began to make ones that were more streamlined. Um, for example, right in front of me, there's one about the size of my computer sitting and facing me and I use it in the morning and it's very good. And so some are bigger, some are smaller. Um, the ones that are, that they all give out, uh, they're supposed to give out a certain measure of light called lux, L-U-X, and they give out, they're calibrated at 10,000 lux because that's what we found in our research actually does the job. But um, careful of the very, very teeny weeny lights because those lights may give off that amount of light, but you have to have your head right in the right position. Every time you move your head, you're going to have a significant drop off in the amount of light. My question is, how? what's the time? Like when you first started to put people in front of the, the lights, how long would they need to sit there in order for it to make a difference? You know, it's quite variable. Just like like if I said to you, how much of a an antidepressant would you need? Different people need different amounts. But for most people, starting them off with 20 minutes in the morning okay. is a very good beginning. And then you can work up or down from there, depending on their response. That's really interesting. I'll go sit outside on my patio for 15, 20 in the morning because I feel the sunshine is healing. And I know it is. It's the vibration and it's the the light that heals us. You know, it's really interesting because uh, we are. And, and you know, I want to bring this to the forefront. We are energetic beings. You know, we have these, and of course, it would make sense. I always, we're light beings, we're, we're energy. And so, of course, we need that light to keep us going. It's almost like we're plugging in. You know what I mean? Like we're regenerating. Don't you feel? Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like you've plugged yourself in and you're coming to life. Yeah. It has many comparisons that people make waking like up energizing yourself uh feeling joy come out inside you one of my patients said little squirts of joy she said <laughs> that's cool so now you have one in your office you talked about the grandkids have them so how does that work for you for example do you you turn it on you said when you come into work and then do you leave it on all day or no, I don't. Uh, you know, I have learned, uh, we have, those of us who have used light, have what I call our internal light meter. I talk mm. about that in the book. Yes. And that you need to begin to understand um, how much light do you need? Um, how much light is too much? Makes you feel a little jazzed, like you've had too much coffee, for yeah. example. And uh, so you learn that, and uh, then you are off and running. You you have a very good self-guided program that the book is supposed to be there for accompaniment. And I should talk about the book called Defeating Sad and why I used that. I didn't want to say overcoming sad. Mm. It was too passive or uh, dealing with sad. No, we want to defeat it. And in fact, the very first quote by Albert Camus is right on point. May I read it? Yes, go ahead. Camus said, in the midst of winter, 
I found there was within me an invincible summer, and that makes me happy, for it says that no matter how hard the world pushes against me, within me there's something stronger, something better, pushing right back. Very nice. Very nice. Thanks for reading that. You know, one thing you talked about your book towards the end, you talked about, you mentioned our ancestors at the end of the book, and what life must have been like for them, you know, and I started to think about it, but you know, and I want to bring this to your attention. I'm curious on your thoughts. You know, I'm really into energy. I wrote a book on energy. And so when I saw that, I thought, yes, our ancestors, it must have been difficult because it was darker for them, but they experienced the moon energy, which we don't go outside and experience that anymore, it seems like, unless it's intentional to look at the blue moon, for example. Um, the earth energy, they had that, you know, where we didn't or where we don't as much. Excuse me. I feel like I'm going to sneeze. And also, um, the energy of nature, you know, just the healing, because they were outside all the time and they didn't have these shoes on with these really thick soles. So they picked up the energy of the earth and the moon and all of that. And I wonder if that compensated. Do you know what I mean? For the lack of. That's what I thought about that when I read that in your book. Well, there there are so many factors. Excuse me. <clears throat> I'm getting hoarse. Yeah. No. There are so many factors that can explain why they might have felt differently. Yeah. For example, just the quiet, the calm, the lack of city lights, the lack of noises, um, the peace must have been really wonderful. And sometimes when we go out into the country, far away from the traffic, we feel that. And yeah. it's a lovely feeling. Yeah. Call it energy, call it joy, call it serenity. It's being close to nature. I think that makes a huge difference. I agree with you. I agree with you. All right. So since the book came out, what have any great stories you want to share with us or any, uh, any aha moments or talk about that a little bit? Well, I have been really thrilled that Ooh. people whom I respect have found it so interesting and um, have gotten such a lot out of it, including even professionals. But but I there, there were two principles, three principles. I wanted it to be absolutely accurate and tell everything that was important for people to know. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted an extra element. I remember I was going to have coffee with a friend who's a very famous classical guitarist. And I was working on another, another book and I said, oh my God, and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to do the other. She said, yes, and it's got to be beautiful. Uh -huh. So I wanted it to be beautiful. And I love the turquoise, the pink. I didn't want it to be blue or dark or depressing in any way. Right. The other thing is I wanted it to be short. Mm -hmm. I want, and, and I'm reminded of Mark Twain, who wrote to a friend and said, I'm sorry to write such a long letter, but I didn't have time to write a short one. <laughs> and, and, you know, to try and make everything very compact and fit into, it's like a tiny house, you know, where you have to fit everything into the small space. Mm -hmm. So the responses that I've gotten from people are just what I wanted to hear. 
It was really helpful. It said everything I needed to know. It was beautiful and it was short. So, yeah, that's awesome. Now, if people have questions for you, especially about the different um, lights, you do you do talk about them quite a bit. There's uh, just so you guys know, there's many illustrations in here where you really talk about different lights that people can get light boxes. Um, is there an email or is there a website? That yes. Yes. In? My website is normanrosenthal.com. Please come and check me out. Okay. And I have a lot of different social media things that you can find things. And of course, you can always email me at awesome. uh, through my website awesome. and, and find me and ask me any questions. And if I can answer, I will. I love it. You know, Norman, thanks for writing this because. Uh, oh, thank hey, you. Yeah, nobody has addressed this. Uh, and I think it needed to be addressed. And there are ways to um help people who have this situation, who who have the sad, you know, where it's difficult for them to maybe make it through the winter or the summer or the spring, whatever the case may be. So I think it, it was it was needed. You guys, it's called Defeating Sad. It's a guide to health and happiness through all seasons. It's by Norman E. Rosenthal, MD. And here's the book. I'm so pleased you came on the show. Anything you want to leave us with today? No, just... Much gratitude and blessings and love for having me on your podcast. Oh, God and, bless. Um, I hope our paths might cross somewhere down the line. There you go. Fabulous. I do too. Hey, you guys, if you want an angel reading, if you want a psychic reading, you can go to my website, nancyrout.com. All the podcasts are on the website. All of the shows from YouTube, all, my blog, my messages that I channel from Archangel Gabriel. There's a new one on there you can check out. So definitely check out my website, nancyrout.com. I hope everybody has a fabulous week and God bless. <laughs>